You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day, and week by week. One thing, of course, we could also do is to make an open and unconditional offer to Ukrainian refugees to house in the United Kingdom. We haven't seen all of what Putin's going to do at the moment. We do not know what his end goal is. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Now, a terrible mistake. Boris Johnson has criticised the West's reliance on Russian oil and gas after the 2014 annexation of Crimea. Writing in The Telegraph, the Prime Minister accused Vladimir Putin of using energy supplies as blackmail and warned that there will be a painful period of adjustment as the West weans itself from Russia. Meanwhile, wealthy Russians allied to Putin are facing new sanctions after MPs passed the economic crime bill. Uh, The UK may update its list of names today. Well, the government is scrapping remaining coronavirus-related restrictions on international travel from the end of this week. From Friday, we won't need to fill in a passenger locator form or take a coronavirus test if unvaccinated. Transport Secretary Grant Shapp thinks it's it's a move that will benefit everybody. It's safe to travel now, and I think it will lead to a big renaissance, people being able to get back together with friends and families abroad. They may not have seen for a very long time. No paperwork is going to make that a lot easier to do. The passenger locator form really is the last piece of the jigsaw. Well, joining us now is Sherilyn McCrory, Conservative Member of Parliament for Truro and Falmouth in Cornwall. Thanks for being with us, Sherilyn. Uh, As we discuss and think about uh, the war in Ukraine, the people um, of Ukraine, there doesn't seem to be really an end in sight to the war there. Could China have a role using its influence over Moscow? That is one of the significant concerns of the West. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, Yes, I think it is a worry uh, where China sits in all of this. And it has worried me for quite some weeks now. China, up until now, has um, stayed very publicly neutral, which I think has been a safe safe place. Um, And of course, you know, the worry is that China will then support Russia. But I don't think we would be too uh, quick to, 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 to assume that, because China has watched what the Western alliances have done with Russia and with the Russian economy. And I don't think China would be uh, too quick to want the same thing to happen to them. On um, energy dependence, the EU wants to end its dependence on Russian energy by 2027. But here in the UK, we have the advantage of substantial oil and gas reserves. Is it time to look again at fracking so that we can produce more of our own energy? Well, I think we need to look at all sorts of um, options, which perhaps 
a few weeks ago we might not have thought of. Um, fracking is only one of those, but actually I'm not totally convinced by fracking because um, even if we were to start fracking today with all of the controversy involved, we wouldn't actually see uh, the benefit of that for several years. So I think we need to look at other things. There are, you know, We are obviously trying to build up our own oil and gas um, reserves. And of course, we absolutely need to, even in these difficult times, start plowing more money into our renewables because that's the trajectory we're on. And actually, that's our way, long term way out of this. Yes. And I know that you're very interested in, in bringing some of that renewable investment to Falmouth. But, but firstly, the government, um, there is a report out about the government perhaps ignoring its own net zero commitment on climate change to pump more North Sea oil. Now, your constituency is suffering now from land erosion, from flooding due to climate change. Do you think that that is the right move to weigh up, trying to effectively circumvent some of the net zero commitments in order to carry on with fossil fuels in this crisis? Look, I don't think it's an either-or conversation to have. You know, we, we have a net zero target, which is in 2050, which isn't that far away, but is still a couple of decades away. If we need to, to get out of this crisis, rely on fossil fuels for, long, fossil fuels for longer than we intended to in the short term, I don't think people would have, uh, I don't think people could, could worry too much because, you know, look at where we are. The alternative is actually plummeting people into horrendous poverty because of the, uh, because of the high global fuel prices. So I think we need to look at all of these things in the round and, uh, and, and not take an either-or uh, option uh, and, and, and look at what is uh, um, appropriate for the short-term, medium-term and the long-term. And I think for the short-term, we do need to look at our fossil fuels, but we absolutely have to keep in mind our 2050 net-zero target, and everybody still wants us to be able to achieve that. And does that perhaps include at least temporarily burning more coal this winter? EDF is reported to have been asked to keep one of its coal-fired plants running uh, beyond its September uh, close date, do you think do you think that makes some sense to keep down keep down prices? Well, you've got to look at, uh, at coal not just for domestic use. We don't really use an awful lot of coal in domestic use anymore. But what we do do is uh, we have a steel injury in industry in this country, which is hugely important. So we either use our coal. Uh, for, 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 in, for ensuring we've got coking coal for a steel industry, uh, which provides an awful, an awful lot of jobs and money for this economy, or we import the coal. So it's up to the British people which of those options they prefer, again, in the short term. Um, I mean, coal makes up a tiny minority of, of the UK economy. We're largely a services-driven industry. But more specifically, Amrita Sen, yesterday, who's very well known um, uh, in the energy sector, co-founder of Energy Aspects, she warned MPs that both for natural gas and diesel, rationing would have to be industry-led. So if they're, uh, you know, if basically the war by Russia um, continues for many more weeks or months, that actually energy supplies could end up having to be rationed. Is that something that businesses in in Falmouth and across Cornwall are prepared for? Um, I think this this is such a fast-moving situation that I don't think Mm. anybody is wholly prepared for this yet, if I'm honest, in my businesses. When I talk to fishermen, for example, uh, you know, at the moment, even with red diesel, which is supposed to be an awful lot cheaper than white diesel, mm. uh, they're still paying about 158 for a litre of red diesel at the moment. And, you know, therefore, it takes a trawlerman £300 a day just to run his boat. So, you know, that's, that's just one example of the businesses in my constituency who are already starting to feel a pinch in this. Um, you know, I don't know whether that fisherman, without asking him, would, ra- would welcome diesel rationing, but we do have essential services that we must keep going. And I think farmers and fishermen are actually amongst the, amongst the priority there because they are food producers.
I want to uh, just bridge this to talk about the the, the, co- the cost of uh, the cost of living crisis. Uh, the government's uh, already planning some help with energy bills: 150 pounds next month and 200 pounds in October. But that's quite modest, really. Do, do you think the Treasury needs to signal more help? is coming later in the, the year in order to reassure people. Isn't there a danger that households rein in their spending too much now and that will re- really cause a hit to the economy? Well, yes, that is a danger. But the two two um, mechanisms that you mentioned there aren't, aren't alone. We've still got the warm home discount. We've still got £144 million pounds of discretionary funding for local authorities who can help the needy families in their particular area. And there are more, the cold weather payments, etc. as well. Um, so, yes, it is going to be difficult for everybody. And I think, you know, when you have conversations with people um, in your local area, everybody's thinking, gosh, am I going to have to tighten my belt? Am I going to make it to the end of the month? And these are real conversations that everybody is having. Um, but don't forget, our Chancellor is versatile. He's shown himself as uh, very responsive to, to crises over the last couple of years. We've got a spring statement coming very, very soon. And I think we should wait to see what the Treasury are thinking. And, and, and I'm sure that they will be responsive to the, to the challenges that we have at the moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that that's fair enough to say that. The question, though, is that even from the pandemic, the UK has not repaid the large scale borrowing and that we saw sort of largest since the Second World War. So there's a concern that more assistance is, is going to be needed and that that will also be need to be paid back. Um, one of the issues, though, specifically, do you think that there should be a cut um, to 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 duty on petrol and diesel. I mean, petrol at the moment, pound 60 in lots of places and diesel, a pound 70. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've had duty frozen on uh, fuel for about mm. 11 years now, I understand. Uh, but it is such a huge chunk of that, of that, uh, of the price that makes up uh, that, that total that you just said. So it's a, it's a difficult one for me because, you know, it would ease it up in the short term, but, you know, that's still taxpayers' money. If that money doesn't go into the Treasury... Where do we get it from? Like you say, you know, if we're either easing it now temporarily, which might be the, which might be the way out of this, but then we're still having to pay it back at some point. So all of the money is taxpayers' money after all. The way out of this mm. is to increase jobs. That's the only way out of this is to increase jobs and tax revenues for more people at work. So the fact that Grant Schatz has released all of the travel restrictions is brilliant for the economy, for the global economy. It means that we can get people working, we can get goods moving more freely, mm. um, uh, you know, and I think that's, that's the only way we can get out of this. Okay, although there's a real worry, for example, in Europe that, that COVID cases are going up in places like Germany and that maybe we're not at the end of the COVID. But anyway, that aside, I have spoken to other Conservative uh, MPs, your colleagues, um, you know, whose change in tone has really struck you and myself. Um, we spoke to an MP yesterday saying that, you know, London and New York are potentially at risk here, that, that war is at the doorstep of Europe. I think it's a change in tone that I'm not sure voters have really understood. Yes, we understand the refugee crisis. Do you think that your voters understand just what a danger Europe and Britain is in at the moment versus Russia? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I think it's a genuine anxiety amongst people in their everyday lives now. It's what people are talking about at the news agent and down the pub. It's you know, it's uh, we we are not taking our freedoms for granted. We are we are treasuring them with with all that we've got. Um, people can see this on our doorstep, uh, and and you know we are unfortunately we are at the mercy at the moment of the mind of one man uh, and what he will do and whether he will um, take it to the next level. And we all. We all hope and pray that he won't. Now, this is this is a difficulty for Western governments, particularly for Boris Johnson, because, you know, we care about our populations. We don't want this to escalate. 
Um, you know, there is lots that we could do if we didn't care about escalating this crisis. But we do because we care about our constituents, we care about everybody that lives in a free and peaceful, uh, living free and peaceful lives. Unfortunately, President Putin doesn't even care about his own conscripts. And that's the danger we have. And that's that's the unknown quantity here. And that's what's making people anxious. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a live TV news broadcast on Russian state media was briefly interrupted by a protester waving a sign that read, Stop the war don't believe the propaganda, they're lying to you. The woman is an editor at First Channel and TASS News says that Russian police have detained her. Russia has enforced strict laws for those who break with the government's narrative. Meanwhile, it's becoming increasingly dangerous to be a reporter on the ground in Ukraine. A British journalist working for Fox News Channel in the US has been injured after an incident outside Kyiv. And Brent Reynard, an American journalist, was killed while reporting on Sunday. So as Moscow makes it all but impossible to report independently in Russia and journalists are becoming caught up in the conflict, let's speak to Rebecca Vincent. She's Director of International Campaigns for Reporters Without Borders. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster today. Now, just tell us what we know about this uh, protester uh, in Moscow. Really an incredibly brave thing to do on 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 state television. She she must be really must be really fearful about the consequences of that for her. Well, at Reporters Without Borders, we're really focused on on journalism um, and sort of uh, the the impact on media directly. But certainly it is very risky at the moment to speak out in any way that can be deemed um, critical of the war or, in fact, challenging the Kremlin narrative. So it will be interesting to see how the Russian government proceeds there, because, of course, uh, a a new draconian law was adopted the week before last that actually uh, criminalizes sort of... um, false reporting, so to speak, on on the conflict. And so that, of course, is anything that um, that may refer to the war in Ukraine or the Russian invasion, because, of course, this is not what the, the Kremlin is is, uh, is saying has happened to its own population. So um, it will be interesting to see how they, they proceed with the case of the, the particular protester. We, don't, we do know it's had a tremendous impact on Russian media. Many have been forced to close or to censor their own work, um, in in relation to the law so that they don't face uh, criminal prosecution. What is your view then of the media landscape now in Putin's Russia? I mean, you you, um, allude there to the the restrictions now. It's not just TV and newspapers online. Also, there are 
significant, deep limitations on what Russians can see. What do you think they can learn of the war in Ukraine? I mean, these are all, they're further evidence of the Kremlin's uh, policy to try to completely isolate the Russian population from independent information and to control the narrative on the war. Um, a number of platforms and apps have been blocked in the country. Uh, the latest, I believe, was Instagram. And so, you know, even even a photo-heavy heavy app is being targeted here. Um, it is getting increasingly difficult for the Russian population to access independent information. And it's also getting more difficult uh, to get independent information from, from Russia. So this is very damaging. Many of these trends were sort of already in place for a number of years, uh, but we're, we're seeing now a very rapid period of escalation. And we are worried that the damage that is being done to media uh, pluralism now will last far beyond the end of this war. Just looking back, things have changed a great deal over the last month, haven't they? How, how much would you say, how, can you quantify that change? I mean, Russia wasn't a, a free media landscape, was it, even even before this? No, absolutely not. So we're coming into a situation where before the war, Russia was already ranked 150th out of 180 countries on our World Press Freedom Index. So already one of the poorest rankings in, in the world, certainly in the bottom quarter. Uh, so we will see what damage this will do to their ranking now. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a period of very rapid uh, deterioration. And we're hearing increasingly from journalists who have fled the country or who need to get out of the country for their own safety, because uh, anybody who, again, is deemed to be a, a government critic or challenging this narrative in any way is now clearly square in the sights of the Kremlin. OK. What about reporting on the ground then from the war zone, from Ukraine itself? Uh, we are now, as we mentioned, hearing of more journalists being injured, even being killed. Um, how important is it for journalists to be able to report in Ukraine? Journalists have to be able to do their jobs in reporting on any war. Without independent reporting, uh, the, the, the international public would have um, no information about what is truly happening. And it's very important that this is documented and exposed for what it is. Um, we're hearing extremely alarming reports from journalists on the ground. Uh, you mentioned a few who have been targeted, but we have other examples as well. And really alarmingly, we're hearing um, almost solidly testimony from all of these journalists that have been targeted so far that Russian forces are shooting to kill, that they are deliberately targeting journalists who are clearly marked as journalists. So this is not a question of journalists get just sort of getting caught in crossfire or, you know, sort of uh, collateral damage when it comes to war. This is uh, we're seeing a policy clearly of journalists being intentionally targeted. And quite thankfully, more have not been killed. We've seen two journalists so far lose their lives. Um, Brent Renault was killed on Sunday in the weekend, um, over the weekend, mm. uh, whilst covering the conflict there. There was also a Ukrainian journalist um, who was killed when uh, the main TV tower in Kiev was bombed uh, about two weeks ago, which we know also constitutes a war crime. That the deliberate targeting of media installations is a war crime as well. Um, so this all points to a very worrying picture, and. Again, it's, 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 it's Russian forces or Russian saboteurs that are that are always um, so far in the cases that we know of the ones who have been targeting journalists. OK. More broadly, though, Rebecca, the bigger picture, how do you defend truth in the fog of war? Not just the individual reporters on the ground, but defending truth in the fog of war when we know there is currently an information war that is taking place. You know, and that's always really the case in a war, but particularly for this one when there are so many interests involved. 
I think it's, it's really important that now more than ever, the international community has to uh, support the ability of, of, interne- you know, of independent media to do their jobs, has to try to keep channels open, including the Internet, for this information to be disseminated. Um, I think there needs to be pr- uh, pressure on the Russian government as well to, re- to reverse some of this regressive legislation that we've seen uh, introduced in recent weeks. Um, this is all very clearly part of a deliberate policy, whether it's the bombing of TV towers in Ukraine, which took at least 32 TV and radio stations off the air, to criminalizing accurate reporting on, on the war in Russia. It's all part of the same uh, effort here. One thing that we're trying to do at Reporters Without Borders, um, we have a project called Collateral Freedom, which has uh, it uses mirror site technology to help unblock blocked sites. And so we are working very rapidly to try to assist Russian and Ukrainian media whose sites have faced online attacks to try to make that resource available uh, for people in the country. We're very proud that, that we assisted Medusa, for example, as, as um, one of the initial um, sites that, that had been uh, severely attacked in the early days of this war. And we put out that call for any Russian and Ukrainian media who are targeted to get in touch because we can help. Hmm, a very a serious and uh, rapidly developing situation. Rebecca Vincent, thanks so much for joining us, uh, Director of International Campaigns for Reporters Without Borders. And now, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. We're joined by Bloomberg's James Wilcock in the studio. Good to have you, James. Uh, So one of the consequences of the war, of course, is rising energy prices. We've been waiting for the government to announce new plans on tackling sky-high energy bills. Uh, Why is it taking them so long? There's something very strange going on, Caroline. Mm. Uh, there is, it's in the language. Uh, a while back, when we were, I, I was last, actually last week, Boris Johnson talked about earning Britain's energy independence. Mm. Uh, today in the Telegraph, he wrote about taking back control of our energy. We're talking about a plan that has been delayed once, uh, the sort of side of a larger state that's being seen in a villain. Don't shoot me, but it's all sounding very Brexit. Mm. Um, now... Why is that? It's not because it's the same language that Johnson chooses to deploy on every occasion. The reasoning is, is there are no easy trade-offs, as there were when we're leaving the EU. Uh, we could try and invest lots of money in more green technology, something Johnson himself has seemed to be a big fan of, but there's a time lag before that happens. We could reopen fracking and sort of restart that in the UK, but it's politically controversial and controversial with a lot of voters. We could put in a lot more spending and sort of take off big sort of cons- and the energy bills for consumers, but after the, the COVID bill, the Chancellor sees that as a another large hit to the bank and yet and or we could ask oil producing nations to put more oil johnson is expected later this week to go to saudi arabia again another politically contentious move there are no easy answers and when stuck we can see that johnson is turning to rely on language that we last saw when he was stuck in another dilemma he didn't know the way out of uh, how to cope with the brexit trade deal that may not be flagged straight away, but surely there needs to be some more kind of retail offer as we head towards mm. October. I mean, we've got big increases coming next month and we've already got some measures in place for that. But surely as we head towards that that second big increase, which is likely in October, surely the, the government will need to offer more help on, on that front. Well... Politically, there's certainly becoming a lot of pressure to do so. Like I said, Rishi Sunak was supposed to announce some sort of measures this week to tackle the issue. He has the spring budget and the spring statement mm. coming up in the next week. So the deadline is fast looming. Um, currently, the th- kinds of things that are being announced are things like how we would help with the supply crunch. Like previously, when we had a fuel crisis just six months ago, uh, there was a big rush to the pumps, like how we could spread that out, help for people who rely on fuel very, uh, a lot, like, say, white van men, uh, who often use it as part of the things. Labour and Lib Dems have consistently discussed and talked about a windfall tax energy company, something that's being trialled out in France. But to come back to Ewan's point, ultimately, this all reflects in the average price of a household. The cap at the moment is at 100 
£1,277. April the 1st, it rises to just under 2000 Some economists predict it will rise to 3000 in October when the regulator Ofgem put it up every six months. That is more than a doubling. Uh, 250% if, if if estimates are to be believed. And simply without further support, there will be a big struggle. And as yet, we don't know what that support will be. Yeah, no, absolutely. Millions of households will struggle to pay those sorts of bills. The other big controversy uh, for the government, of course, under attack about the refugee policy for days. Are they managing to turn that around? It was a rare bit of good news, the number of people that signed up to the housing Ukrainian refugees scheme. They'll be using that as a way of saying what Johnson said less like the week. The UK is a nation of extreme generosity, uh, but a careful one. But you can see from in the Labour leader, Keir Starmer, who's in Poland this, this week, and the Lib Dem leader, Ed Davey, who is on the border of Medica, uh, that opposition politicians are pushing for more. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.